0: Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, GregoryWilker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Of live with Greg. Thanks for your support. It's a beautiful world we live in. All right. All uh, right. You ready to start? Yeah. All right. So we're here with another episode of Live with Greg. And I look in that camera. Okay. Well, we just we're <laughs> just with each other. Okay. All right. Know, but, um, And I'm here with Mark, and it's North Cross. North Cross, yeah. Yeah, who I'd say is a friend now who I met through two (laughs) mutual friends. One's your wife, and one's Peter Stern. Yeah. And um, as I kept thinking about this and hanging out with you, A bit with a with a a bit of humor. The word that kept coming up for me was the apocalypse. (laughs) True. (laughs) And uh, so, what do you think is coming environmentally, especially in the Bay Area, in the next ten years, like so, twenty thirty?
1: Well, I don't. I'm not going to start with the time frame give a little bit of background uh, I've been in the municipal bond business meaning finding ways to fund public infrastructure since 1981. so that's the background. then you add climate change to that and, and the, the first thing a little bit of terminology there are two worlds in climate change right now and this is important for the listener. We call it climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation. And these sound like high-tech terms, and it's confusing, but this is going to become a major political issue. Mitigation is about, hey, we've got too much carbon going into the atmosphere. We've got to go to net zero on carbon, and you've got all, Paris Accord, all the stuff around the world. We've got to reduce our carbon. Adaptation means, put it bluntly, it's already too late. And you heard Andrew Yang, actually, I was at the Democratic debates Tuesday night, was the only person who said that. It's, it's too late. Yes, we still need to do this, but the sea levels are gonna rise, temperatures are gonna rise, wildfires go down the list of climate change impacts. They are happening now, and they're gonna happen for the rest of our lives. Whether we go to net zero on carbon or not, it's, we're, it's baked in, pun intended. And adaptation means, okay, what are we going to do to prepare the Bay Area for sea level rise? What are we going to do to deal with the fact that the Intermountain West in North America is going to burn on a regular basis like it's never burned before in our lifetimes or in recorded history? And it's going to cost money. And where it comes down to is, okay, all this... Mitigation or adaptation work costs money. And you're already starting to see it in California with the growing debate or the $1.5 a year we get from what we call cap-and-trade, which is essentially a carbon tax, one of the biggest ones in the world. The fight is starting, well, how much of that goes to mitigation, getting carbon out of the air? How much of that goes to dealing with wildfires, adaptation? and other things that are about helping people survive the changes that are already in, in happening. That will be a political battle. And it's a, it's an awful, awful choice, but it's, we're already there. So, what? let's go back to then, what do I see? Well, you have a question.
0: You well, know. no, I'm wondering, I mean, like you're saying, we're already there. And I'm wondering, do you mean by that, for instance... Um, I just forgot the name of the town up north that burned to the paradise. Grand paradise. Yeah. Is that what you mean when you say we're already well, We there?
1: we have in California the the cutting edge in the I'll call it the inner mountain west from what you're talking about from the subarctic in Alaska uh, and northern Canada all the way down to the Woolsey fire in the Santa Monica Mountains behind Malibu are fires that are happening in a way that we've never seen before. The intensity, the spread, everything about it, the total amount of homes lost is unprecedented. And as the fire safety people will tell you, it's because things are drier for a longer period of time than we've ever measured before. Why is that? Well, it's climate change. It's getting warmer. And thing, the weather is changing, and we're now seeing fires that we never saw before. And statistically, we've had the worst fires in recorded history in California and in the, basically the western half of North America have all taken place in the last five to ten years. Wake up! It's happening. It's now. So that is, in, and there's a general consensus, certainly in the world of I'll call it fire safety, that climate change is now. We're burning. And we're going to continue to burn at an unprecedented level. And what do we do about that?
0: So we're in August now, and I'm not aware of any fires this summer the way we experienced the past three not, years. Not yet. We have a, a large fire in Northeast
1: California. I think it's called the Tucker Fire. We have the Milepost 97 fire in Southern Oregon, which is actually, are, are both very large fires. And are uh, burning with the intensity. Burning, Yeah, burning with intensity. We, so far, we've actually been fairly lucky this year. The last two years, the fire season really started in July. It started in July this year, too, but it hasn't started in areas that where homes were really in danger. And so we'll see. We'll see how this goes. But the fire season lasts longer. Things are drier. And we have a long ways to go for the year.
0: Right. Okay.
1: The other piece is let's look at sea level rise, how it really manifests. We've had now two incidents in the last three or four years of Highway 37 between Nevado and Vallejo, near, near Nevado, being closed due to flooding. Okay, uh, you go back and you look 50 years prior to that. It never happened before. And you're saying, well, what happened? Well, the seas has risen a couple of inches. The bay has risen a couple of inches. Why should that make such a big difference? Well, except that everything was designed... <laughs> assuming the bay level was constant and in some cases you get on a king tide with a storm surge during the rainy season, the bay is now several inches higher than it's ever been before you can have water get into a place it can't get out of It was never, the people who designed whatever infrastructure never thought that water would get in there and therefore, there was no way they designed for the water to get out, which means, oh, we now have a major problem. We have to find a way of pumping out tens of thousands of gallons of water, and we, we aren't really equipped to do that. And so,
0: when you say water getting into, are you speaking of, let's take like Highway 37, where it's an environmental placement of the water?
1: Or are you talking about... The water got into an area that flooded the highway that it could not drain out of.
0: Okay, that's, yeah.
1: Because it was never, no one ever thought water would get in there.
0: And there were no natural...
1: There's no, yeah. It's just like the only way to get it out is to pump it out.
0: Wow.
1: So that's starting to happen around the Bay Area. Something else from working with with public entities is that you've got what we call public works crews, you know, for cities and special districts. Uh And use the people who go, you know, fix potholes and deal with somebody's storm drain got plugged by a bunch of debris. They clean it out. You know, this is just keeping the normal day-to-day things operating. What's really good about this is that you've got people who've been doing that in some cases for 30-plus years. They haven't retired yet, so you've got a lot of living memory. And the feedback we're starting to get is that these people... Who've been doing this normal, just daily maintenance stuff to keep a city functioning, are telling us we're seeing water in places I never saw it in my career. Okay, yeah. that's that's. Yeah. This is not a scientific study on climate change. Right. This is from somebody literally down the weeds, coming back and saying water is getting into places I've never seen it before, and you know, I go, this is very real very very real. And we're getting that feedback. So on both sides we're getting it. The more dramatic one is on the fire side. You know, we've again because we've lost 35,000 homes in California in the last 2 years that that exceeds the entire sum total of all prior home loss as far as we've been measuring it. So, yeah, this is, you know, the, the analogy I use is a hockey stick. Okay, you know, they look like this. Right. Uh, if you lay it horizontally
0: and all of a sudden it's spiked
1: yeah nothing in nature moves linear like that It it moves like it's all curved it's all logarithmic and the hope has been on climate change we've been on the flat part of the curve you know where it's really very slow rate of change the question now coming on the table is maybe that's wrong we, are, we may be on the wrong part of the hockey uh, stick that we don't want to be on, which is where things start to change fast. The other piece, just uh, from, you know, you have all the, the, the techno nerds in any particular field or industry or business go have their annual conferences. Yeah. And everybody goes and hangs out together. They take little classes and do programs. <laughs> but the real conferences is, is in the Hotel Lobby Bar over beer. That's where everyone is like now talking, you know, about what they're really seeing. I know people who go to the climate change conferences around the world. Uh, I'll leave names out. but one guy's name is Mike, and he's got a great gig where uh, he's he's got he gets paid to go to things like Paris and Bonn and the conference in Poland. He gets to go to all the conferences around the world on climate change, so he's been to them all. And he's a great source of information because. He's really good at sitting in the hotel lobby bar having a beer and finding out what's really going on. And the last one in Poland, which you know we, the, the news media was focused on you know the Trump administration, people were there doing climate denial, and you know there was all this stuff about trying to keep preserved fossil fuels. Mike was in the hotel lobby bar talking to climate scientists, And they were agreeing actually, with the climate change deniers that all their models were wrong with one exception the models were wrong in the fact that they had grossly underestimated the rate of change and what they were saying is that the rate of change that they're measuring now is faster than anything they predicted
0: hmm. and
1: so the uh, basically over a couple of beers uh, they were going oh my god ONG, uh, my models were wrong and I'm scared because things are changing way faster than I thought So that was the Hotel Lobby Bar. Again, it's like in the category of the Public Works crews for the city of Alameda saying, water's getting in the places I've never seen it. Hotel Lobby Bar conversation at a climate change conference. ONG.
0: Well, you just answered a question I've had because it seems like lines are drawn so much right now in our society where there's no communication over the line it's black or white and I just read two days ago an article about I think a study in the Netherlands that was saying wait this climate change stuff, the science data that it's based on is incorrect and in essence it was supporting, wait a minute this climate change shenanigans is incorrect and I wondered someone like yourself and the gentleman you just spoke of who is traveling around are you allowing for the challenges to the data and train of thought to help strengthen the knowledge and it sounds like you are in fact according to your friend these scientists did allow their data be to be challenged, and what they came back with is, yeah, we were wrong it 's way worse yeah, well, yeah, no there
1: 's people measuring this stuff all over the world, and you have ranging from a public works crew on Alameda Island to a climate scientist at some major university another I was in an event um, UCLA last week that was sponsored by the uh, our uh, State Insurance Commissioner, Ricardo Lara, uh, and it was (laughs) a fascinating event because it was on climate change and insurance. And so we had, I'm I'm not supposed to give names other than the fact that Commissioner Lara sponsored it. It was invite only, and somehow as an old guy I managed to get an invite. Um, And what we had sitting in the room we're two of the major we call reinsurers on the planet. Okay, and we won't give names. We weren't supposed to give names, so they call it Chatham House Rules or something. So, uh, but reinsurers are the ones who insure other insurance companies. They are like the I'll call it the heart and soul of risk management and risk taking on the planet. Okay. These are the ultimate sports book Vegas equivalents for the insurance industry. They are the ultimate. They're the world bookies. Okay, and they're only—they don't bet the NCAA March Madness or the Super Bowl. They're betting fire, flood, hurricane, earthquake—you know, natural disasters—and they've been doing it successfully and in some cases for, like, Lloyd's of London, for hundreds of years. So they—they—they they, they, they got some good bookmakers. They're called actuaries, and they also have meteorologists who work with the actuaries. Uh, the refrain. Why am I telling you all this? The refrain in the room for people who should remain nameless was, "Quote: There is no more baseline. There are no baselines anymore in There's this world. Safe bets. There are no safe bets. As as actuaries, our job is to tell our management at a global insurance company with literally hundreds of billions of dollars how to bet." fire, flood, go down their right. list. Right. We are telling them, because of climate change, you can't bet this anymore. This is the equivalent of of going into a Vegas casino the day before the Super Bowl and ha- going up the window to put your bet and having the person at the window say, "This, these two teams playing are so completely volatile and unpredictable, we are not taking any bets on the Super Bowl right right, okay that to me this should be on the front page it should be on every media thing like do you realize why it's what you have this mathematical nerd I'm sorry sitting here but their their job is to basically they're a bookmaker and not just one but a team of them a team of them and they're telling you the equivalent you, you can't bet the Super Bowl or the NCAA anymore right and so if the insurers will tell you, it says, yeah, right, You know, we are all about making profit, but what our people are telling us is that we should just get out of the insurance business. Well, what are we supposed to do if we can't right. place bets on insurance? We're out of business. Our actuaries are saying, yeah, our actuaries are telling us that we should get out of the business. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's how risky, volatile... Climate change is and again dealing with climate change denial. It's like these are the people who have skin in the game, they have they've got hundreds of billions of dollars of risk and premiums and policies they've written around the world,
0: right? They got real risk, it's their best interest to figure out a way to make that bet, yeah. And And they're saying they can't do it, they can't do it.
1: And so what's happened is you have internal tension in the major insurers of the world between the management saying, well, we, we can't get out of the business. We have to do something. And their actuaries are going, you can't do you got to get out of the business. Wow. And so they're still writing policies, but they're restricting it. And you're seeing it in California now because people are losing their fire insurance.
0: Or what I experienced uh, used to be a homeowner. And... Um all of a sudden, a fire insurance line item was added to our home insurance. And it was AAA. And it was like, this is happening in California. You don't get to discuss it. You don't get to. You know, it's non-negotiable as part of your homeowner's insurance. Right, right. This is a new line item.
1: Well, it, what's happening in California is that because of the essentially we collect According to the Department of Insurance, 7 to $8 billion a year in homeowners ins- fire insurance premiums, if you will. Losses are running 15 to $20 billion a year. Hmm. Do the math. That's yeah, a big loss. If you're, you don't need an actuary to tell you you shouldn't be in the business with numbers right. like that. Right. You're kind of going, I can't be in this business. Right. And so the insurance industry in california is looking for ways to cut back big time
0: oh, that's interesting because one of the things the reason we didn't need fire insurance before is it was a steel girdered framed home so the risk was very low but based on what you're saying it would if i was in the insurance business i'd be looking for those kind of homes to be paying me fire insurance
1: well, I yeah, they're they're, gonna, that's a whole other piece yeah. is, which is called risk mitigation. Right. Risk management is another term that goes with climate change adaptation and climate change mitigation. You've got you know, risk management which means what can you do from the standpoint of whether it's sea level rise, fires, or another big issue is heat to mitigate the risk. Okay, reduce the risk. So what you have in the Bay Area, uh, you have a notion of basically you building levees of some kind to protect against sea level rise, and that's a, a, a hot subject, so to speak. In, in the world of fire risk, you have the, what the state has done right now, their fire risk mitigation is to beef up Cal Fire. They're getting more aircraft, more crews, more equipment. Uh, the other side of it is, well, what about defensible space? What about sprinkling your home, you know, all these things to make your home more defensible. This is a major debate going on at the highest levels in Sacramento, and I think probably throughout the western half of North America right now, in government and the private sector. Again, not naming names, the UCLA conference last week, I would describe it. The, the, the bad news on what to do about fire risk mitigation in California, it was deer in the headlights. At the highest levels of the private sector and the public sector, the good news is the people who are during in the headlights are admitting they're during in the headlights, which is great. Yeah. Let's start, right. you know, right. let's let's start where we are. Let's admit who, where we are, right. and we can move on. Right. And so that was good news, yeah. you know. We at least we all admit that we're during in the headlights and we're clueless as to how to really deal
0: with this. One of the things that fascinates me about what I've learned about you is there's this very linear engineering financing mind that you have that is doing on a very deep level or high level with these subjects there's also this very spiritual person who I see posting about treks to (laughs) Mount Shasta and um, which is wonderful to me from your spiritual experiences knowledge and imagination do you have any thoughts about this apocalyptic reality well
1: yeah the it really comes down, it's about time. And it goes back to the hockey stick analogy. As human beings, we are very good at dealing with the steep part of the hockey stick. When a problem is in our face, we pull together and we deal. Okay, Not always, but generally we do. We've been remarkably successful for tens of thousands of years in our particular species of dealing with that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So we've got a good track record. When it's in our face, so in the Bay Area or certainly in California, if it's you know voting to tax ourselves to extend BART or Caltrain or Smart Train uh, to get rid of the, the the horrible traffic conditions on the freeway, yeah, we'll do that. If it's affordable housing, yeah, we'll tax ourselves. If it's you know overcrowded schools, yes, we'll tax ourselves because those problems are right now. You know, my child or my grandchild is going to a school I think really needs to be improved, I'm stuck in traffic on 101 or 880, uh, go down the list. Then, when it comes to, here's the issue, you're okay, let's pretend we're sitting in front of a bunch of people who are dealing with education problems, affordable housing, transportation problems, and they've got, you know, paycheck to paycheck or whatever, and you're saying, well, I want you to tax yourselves to pay for something else. It's going to be a real serious problem. It's called rising sea levels or fire risk. Um, and you're going, well, how bad is it? Well, it, it can. it's in this range. It'll be like, you know, somewhere between 1 feet and 10 feet of, of bay level rise. Well, when's it going to happen? Well, it'll happen sometime between 2030 and 2100. That's not the same as... I got on 101 northbound at 5 o'clock yesterday, and it sucked. You know, it's like there's certainty (laughs) to the traffic. There's certainty to the schools and the housing. There is very little certainty as to the climate change. Emotionally, as a species, we've never dealt with anything like this before. We have never dealt with anything that is not present right now and requires taxing ourselves to save our grandkids that's a change and to all sound, everybody can say that, well that's a nice phrase yeah, I'm going to tax myself, I love my grandkids and you know, I want my kids to all have a good life, but bring it down are you willing to tax yourselves big time right now solely for the benefit of your grandkids, this all is not right. going to probably any benefit for you right now zero benefit to you right now we've never dealt with that
0: Yeah, that's a good challenge.
1: And there's there's more to that. the, The answer around the planet is we aren't. Whether it's the yellow vest in France, which also was a social equity issue. Governments in Ontario, Alberta, and Australia have all been kicked out for carbon taxes. Jay Inslee, running for president as the climate change candidate, sponsored a ballot measure in the state of Washington. For a carbon tax, it was defeated. You go around the world, and what you see is the public is not willing to tax themselves knowingly to pay for climate change. The taxes, with only a couple of exceptions, around the world on carbon are all, I'll call it, unknowing. For example, the largest carbon tax in the world is in California, and very few Californians know about it. It's called the low carbon fuel standards. Have you ever heard of that?
0: Mm-mm.
1: It's uh, over $2 billion a year. It's the biggest tax in the world, and uh, no one in California even knows about it. We, we had a ballot measure last year on S- to overturn SB1, the gas tax. Um, the SB1 tax revenues that they were being voted on by the Republicans wanting to overturn it are significantly less than the low carbon fuel standard tax. The Republicans didn't even know about it.
0: So how does this low carbon fuel tax get?
1: It's basically charged against petroleum product wholesalers, so you never you never see it, but it works out to be about twenty five cents a gallon.
0: So Chevron is paying this tax and passing it through. Yeah, on...
1: and it's it, I'm I'm simplifying it, but okay. it's essentially uh, it's a tax at the wholesale level. Other nations that have large carbon taxes around the world, it's all hidden. They're hidden taxes. You don't, it's not something you see as a taxpayer, which is, is now being advocated by a lot of people. That's the only way to do it because the public won't vote to tax themselves for mm-hmm. climate change. And my response is, you know, as Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time sooner or later than to figure it out. And the good news in California is that uh and single so see' it as bad news is almost any tax is subject to referendum requires some form of voter approval and uh, you know so my advocacy has been uh, to my clients is that we really need to get with the voters now and start educating them because we just cannot assume that we're going to dodge a bullet like we did with low-carbon fuel standards. Like when, what the Republicans put on the ballot was like the wrong tax; <laughs> they did not get where the higher tax was. You can't always count on your, your opposition making mistakes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, as a human being. One of the things you said a little earlier was how we operate really well when the drama's right in our face. Yeah, bingo. And yet that's a very nerve-wracking way to operate. True. So... I want to learn to be aware of potential dramas and change... So that it doesn't ever rise to that level. Do you think that's possible on a global scale?
1: It, it's required uh, on a global scale to survive climate change. Uh, is, I think some people, there's a growing feeling amongst people who are really deep in this, that this is the biggest threat to our survival of our species that we've seen. We, we can't really think of another bigger threat to our species than this one. And I mean, maybe there were, it was, but, you know, we don't, certainly don't know about it. And we've got to get ahead of the game. Uh, you look at, like, if we'll, let's take, for example, the, the uh, desired right now standard in, in sea level rise or bay level rise mitigation for the barriers, which you call a horizontal levee. And what that means, it's not just a, it's this big wall sitting out protecting against rising tides. It's actually a creating, if you will, an artificial wetland or marsh to act as a sponge to absorb water. And so it gets the same effect as building a wall in terms of protection behind the horizontal levee, meaning the artificial marsh or wetland. But it creates all this habitat for wildlife. And it's actually a more stable structure long-term, requires less maintenance, or almost like they're self-maintaining. Before uh, you know the gold rush and the bay got hugely modified in so many ways for so long, the bay was a whole bunch of horizontal levees. It was all this marshland and wetlands that really absorbed uh, flooding. From king tides and, and storm surges and all that, and it's about going back and restoring that, and to the extent we can. But to build one of these things takes years, and so if you're on that steep side of the hockey stick again, you're going well. If the, the sea level is rising several inches a year, and you're like, how do you build something like this in that time? And yeah, you can do it, but you're you're literally just talking about going on a screaming war footing and spending a, a whole lot of money and taxing people to pay for those extra costs at a really high level. One of the other things I, I feel like is missing and I I know a few electeds who are starting to come to this conclusion as well, is that we need to get straight with the voters of what this is gonna cost. And I'll just kinda of cut to the chase. I, I've, I call them Mark's wrong numbers. We, when you start dealing with the cost to taxpayers and voters, you have to start with numbers that are going to be wrong. I mean, you have to start someplace. Uh, make it simple. The wrong number for climate change adaptation, not the mitigation side, for the Bay Area, I'm estimating is 3000 bucks per family per year for 30-plus years. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It is a whole lot of money, particularly if it was spread Evenly by family by household, it's unsustainable. Right. Okay, if you add in climate change mitigation, this is really speculative. The last number was speculative, but plausible. This one gets even more is the cost of mitigation. Uh, looking at basically, we have the Silicon Valley Leadership Council. has got the hundred billion dollars for Bay Area transit to really, which is our main greenhouse gas in the Bay Area is traffic on the roads. We get rid of that, we're actually pretty darn green. But that's gonna kick it up all in to something like five thousand dollars a family per year. That is a really, really big number. Uh-huh. Median income is eighty five thousand a year in the Bay Area per family. Yeah. So now you're talking about a <coughs> oh, cut to the chase again, talking about maybe a six to eight percent decline in the standard of living in the Bay Area to deal with climate change. That's news. And the public needs to know about that. Now, if you get grant money from the federal government to pay half the cost, things like that, well you, you knock it down. But then let's multiply that by, see the Bay Area. where you know, we've got you know seven million people out of 315, 320 million in the country. Um, we've got a whole bunch we have the whole the, the most vulnerable coast is in the country is the Gulf Coast, which is all red states. Uh, and they, they're they going to want to get money from the federal government. You have the Atlantic Coast, you got the rest of the West Coast, uh, you've got fires, you've got heat uh, going on throughout the country, particularly in the Midwest. Everyone's going to be at the trough of the federal government for grant money. How's that going to get allocated? How are we going to deal with the fact that you know we have already have a huge federal deficit, a giant military budget, and so how's this cost
0: gonna get spread around? Oh my god, my brain's just bouncing. <laughs> so our current administration, I just read that uh the US pulled out of the treaty with Russia, the nuclear Yeah, yeah. just within the last twenty four hours. Yeah. So I see with that move a potential of escalation of military budgets. Right. And, and-
1: and remember what comes up for me is on the, on the paraphrase of a quote from Ken Kesey, you know, uh, a great writer of the last century. Um, he lost his son in a school bus accident, and he wrote a fabulous essay about that. But one of the things questions come to the table is what constitutes national defense. Is national defense just the military, or is it people dying? Protecting people from dying for other reasons like, you know, ancient school equipment, uh, cancer, AIDS, you know, diabetes. Go down the list. Wildfires. How do we define national defense? Climate change puts that question, I'll call it the Ken Kesey question, right on the table again. Yes, I'm really into national defense. But you know what? I want to define it more broadly. There are a lot of ways that people can die in our country. Let's, let's look at all of them.
0: Do you think it's plausible that the current administration would the federal administration would give money to what you're talking about to help um, minimize the public costs of climate mitigation?
1: Climate change mitigation, no. But where you get Red electeds is on what we call climate change adaptation. It it is very hard to be a Republican elected from the Gulf Coast and be opposed to spending money to protect against rising sea levels. Because it's happening now, people are getting flooded, your constituents are coming to you and saying, my home is in danger of being flooded, what are you doing? And they'll say, well, it's not because of climate change, but I'm going to make sure, I'm, we're going to protect your home. Okay. And so that's where on the adapt it's, it's really curious. If you're on the adaptation side, there really is bipartisan consensus. If you're on the mitigation side, it is a complete split. But from the standpoint of being, you know, in my case, p- funding public works in the Bay Area in my career, hey, I'll take it, you know. Right, right,
0: <laughs> yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah. You can call it what you want. It's call it what you want. Hey, so yeah, one of the, paradoxically, the state that is the most advanced on protecting against sea level rise in the United States is not California, Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, it's the red state, and they are actually perceived as a global leader along with the Netherlands. You know, it's like okay, hey, I'll take it. I'll take right. it. Yeah, right.
0: One of the things I like about Marianne Williamson, seeing her run, is let's take the Flint, Michigan, water situation. All the politicians that I heard, and I paid very little attention to it, but they were talking about that situation. She was the only one I heard voice say, that is a result of a racial, social problem. That isn't the problem. That's the result. That's the symptom. Yeah, that's the
1: symptom. I totally agree. And that's one of the things I I love about her messaging is let's drop down deeper to where, where the real causes are, because we need to address that.
0: And that's what I think if we were able to do that on a global political scale so that this military funding that's happening globally shifted to climate mitigation...
1: National defense. Let's okay, right. fine. Let's let's yeah. Right. The, the, apparently, the equivalent of the Davos conference for defense is it's called the Munich Security Conference, which is held every year in Munich, Germany. And apparently, that's that's the one where everybody in the defense world goes. And the Munich conference needs to really focus. I'll say on national defense, but redefine it. Big, real, big, major redefinition because we cannot afford to keep spending on national defense, the way we're spending on it, and survive as a species. I'm all for survival. All for it. All for national defense. But we just got to change that definition.
0: Yeah. Do you think that's plausible in your and my lifetime?
1: If it's not we aren't going to survive. Yeah. I, I think, you see, on, on the mystic side, um, I, I'm going to go slightly, but now I'm, and I'm going to go out of the box, and I know this is going on YouTube. Um, I'm what they call a near-death experiencer. I was in that bad accident in oh, 2003 wow. and so on. Um, as often happens with NDEs, another... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm using all these academic acronyms. That's actually an academic acronym. Is it
0: really? Yeah, it oh, is. Yeah, God, yeah. I'm,
1: a, I'm, a, I'm an NDE. Okay. You have... You know Whether you call it delusions or visions, oftentimes you get a vision of the future. And uh, my vision of the future was, was something I didn't really understand. It was pre-verbal. It was about just like massive amounts of water uh, ending up in places it shouldn't be. And as a result of that, people getting at each other's throats. And the, and the issue was not so much the water getting into places we didn't want it. It was the people getting at each other's throats as a result, and as I've come to sit with that over the years, I feel like what it's really about is that people get really upset when they lose real estate, you know, without any judgment, we'll look at like, you know, Palestine and Israel, you go around the world, people lose what they think is theirs, their their homes, their real estate, they, they get really torqued about it, and it can go on for generations, as we know. Rising sea levels and climate change is going to be basically Palestine and Israel on steroids. Okay, it's like even more more people losing what they think is theirs and getting really angry about it. The difference is some of these people that are losing real estate have access to weapons of mass destruction. They're nations. They have seats on the UN Security Council. They've got really big, ugly war toys to play with, they're going to be mad. And they may start using them on each other. That is the real deepest threat to the survival of our species.
0: So, that brings up another topic that I'm very interested in, which is our emotions. It's fascinating, it just fascinates me, and it's a new fascination of what is emotion. You know, where's it? Good question. Yeah. What's generating it? What is it? Um, however, it also is of interest to me to not take action as a knee jerk reaction from one's emotion. Like you're talking about anger. Pause. Right, <laughs> which is so difficult because in the moment, of anger and everything what's going on. You want to act. You want to act. And it's justified. It's logical. There's all this energy supporting that action. And yet that action could be so destructive. And again, going to the mitigation aspects and instead of being on the steep in my face, like that's what I think creates the in my face Mm -hmm. drama is that knee jerk action. And to be able to breathe while we fire. Before,
1: breathe before acting, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, I totally agree. Very well said, Greg. That's very true. That's just the key thing. Can we stop in the middle of intense emotion and just really ground before we act and really act from our highest long-term interest?
0: And <laughs> to know what that even means, to to have... An idea of what the best long term interest is, I find challenging.
1: And one really needs to stop and go deep to find out what that is. Yeah. yeah, you really need to stop in the middle.
0: And another pitfall I see in all this is the animal farm syndrome that I think is so prevalent. Prevalent as a human being to especially well in any area, so even in a spiritual, high spiritual or high academic realm, which is supposed to have sort of an even keel and high intelligence, but it's such a natural thing to want to be a leader and then to get caught up in supporting that place.
1: Yeah, that, um, I call it egoic behavior, you know, as opposed to really <laughs> just reaching in what is the common good here, what is the best thing for everyone in the room, however you define the room. Right. And certainly with climate change, we've got to define the room on a global basis.
0: That seems really healthy to start thinking globally.
1: Well, now we have an issue. The first time we had that issue, I think, was with the Cuban Missile Crisis and nuclear weapons. We had to define the room globally because we almost lost the room globally in 1962, and then we've been kind of like kicking the can down the road since then. And now we have another issue. That, That one hasn't gone away. And now we have another one called climate change, which is a global survival issue, and we can't, and we've been kicking the can down the road, and um, and we get, again, I come back to like when you look at the, the elections like in Ontario, Alberta, and Australia the good news is that the conservatives were not climate change deniers and all those uh, governments and all those organizations that's great the bad news is that they're essentially saying and I'm taking a long story and making it really simple, they're saying you can deal with climate change for free hmm. you don't have to tax yourselves to deal with climate change and not true. And we're going to pay for that. But you got to get to, and but you got to get with the voters, and you got to deal this deep dive on just what you're talking about. Is like, you know, I'll use an example. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a fun one. I was encouraged to use this by one of my my clients, who I really respect. But we have Measure double A in the barrier, twelve dollar. Uh, a year parcel tax. It's on our property tax bills. It's uh, pays for Bay restoration. And it really is a climate change tax. It was approved by a two-thirds vote in all nine Bay Area counties. The the, the San Francisco Bay Area, no surprise, is a candidate for the only place on the planet that has now voted twice overwhelmingly to tax themselves for climate change. The $400 million seawall Project for San Francisco was voted over by over two-thirds majority and the $12 a year tax in the Bay Area Was voted by over a two-thirds majority So, you know, hey Bay Area resident. Okay, we and that that drew global attention Well, at least there's voters on one little area of the planet that apparently have stepped up and said they're going to vote to tax themselves for climate change That's the good news uh, the measure double-a is a flat parcel tax so, we did the math comparing West Oakland with all their parcels uh, to Facebook. And they're both equally vulnerable. Facebook is at the foot of the Dumbarton Bridge. They've got this multi billion dollar installation. If you haven't seen it, it's boggling how much they built there at the foot of the Dumbarton Bridge. I mean, a one foot sea level rise is going to be a real issue for Facebook and her global headquarters. Same for West Oakland. They're right at the foot, right next to the bay. Bottom line is, you know, West Oakland pays something like $100,000 a year and Facebook has got maybe a dozen parcels or are paying a couple hundred dollars a year. And you're like, how many billions does Facebook have compared to the people of West Oakland? Social equity, completely, totally wrong. And if you look at the Yellow Vest people in France, it, it was not climate change denial, no. It was like, You are taxing diesel fuel, which is what we farmers and truck drivers live on, and you aren't taxing the rich. We're paying the bulk of it, and we're like the working class. Why should, you know, working class, middle class people pay the bulk of the cost of climate change? And, okay, so I've been telling my clients in the Bay Area, you're looking at us. You're looking at the yellow vest, that's us. Because sooner or later, the people in West Oakland are going to figure out that Facebook is paying a fraction of what they're paying, and they're going to get mad. For good reason. How do we deal?
0: Um, Well, the West Oakland scenario, I remember when, uh, I think it was Bush first was president, and... um, San Francisco was shut down with everyone sitting in the streets. The whole financial district was shut down. And I was thinking about the potential. If you take the riots in L.A. during Rodney King, the destructive nature of that, and combine that with the ability to shut down a whole financial section, the people really could bring the social structures
1: well there's so many ways to do it now they would even have to you know, you'd get a disgruntled hacker in, in San Jose yeah. could do serious damage to the financial uh, sector so there's so many ways and again it goes back to my issue with uh, you know Israel and Palestine being yeah. multiplied on steroids I mean when you start getting people losing their real estate their homes and getting mad there's so many ways they can do mass destruction And harm people.
0: That is actually a great analogy because mostly what I hear when the people are spoken with on either side, like we wanna live in peace. So you have a minority which is political creating chaos that is really impacting the majority of people. It's not really impacting the people making these decisions to well, yeah, I, you know, I
1: don't have answers for that, but I, I, I do know that we, at least starting where we are in the Bay Area, we've got to bring our voters along and let them know what's coming down the pike at them in terms of cost. So you're really saying, this, this cost is coming. This cost is coming. Let's get straight with them. And so that this question... One of the other questions that come up. There's another buzzword for your viewers, but I think they'll go with the other ones I've given. It's called managed retreat. Okay, managed retreat means it's not worth saving this area. Okay, question is: Should the town of Paradise, which is burned to the ground, be rebuilt? Should it just be abandoned? Or okay, are we going to spend money to save Stinson Beach from sea level rise? Should the taxpayer spend money to save Stinson Beach from sea level rise? Right. Okay. It's called managed retreat. And, 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 and it's a euphemism. I, 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 keep, I do remind people that, yes, you could call what happened in Palestine and Israel managed retreat. Okay. <laughs> With Palestinian refugees. Right. Okay. You know, <laughs> let's not use that term to Climbing. paper over right. the emotional impact. Right of people losing their homes, right. losing their real estate. It is intense. Louisiana is one of the most ahead-of-the-world the, of the world places on managed retreat right now because what they came up with was, okay, here's how you work managed retreat. You go to that African-American or Cajun community that's down in the, in the south Louisiana wetlands delta, and you say, we're just going to pay you money to move. We're going to work with you to rebuild your community, the entire community, in a new location above where we think sea level rise is going to go. That includes your shrimp fishing dock, your cranes for unloading your ships, the whole darn thing, your homes. We're just going to take your community and rebuild it in total, including your your way of making a living in their location. Guess what? That actually works. People go well. Yeah, we're going to get flooded here, but I don't want to be handed a check and, and have to go move to Houston or right. you know or, or North Dakota or something. I want to have my community and my life as I knew it. Just go on in a different location. I can understand that. So that's actually uh, that's hope for actually for the world as an approach. And so I, I thank the Red State of Louisiana for being a global beacon. In that way and, and leading the way I want to acknowledge that because again we're bipartisan, we're liberal California we're conservative Louisiana, we have things to learn from each other um, but again you got what the managed retreat issue also puts on the table is the taxation issue, you're like okay if you don't want managed retreat here's what it costs to save your community Okay, here's what it costs are you willing to pay that? So this debate all goes together, and the biggest challenge I see is getting people to get to do a deep dive on those issues when the, the deep dive they want to do on public policy is on traffic, mass transit, education, affordable housing, because that's in their face. Well, we've got to add this one to the list. I'm sorry we and we got you know we you got to turn off the tv and some other stuff and take more time away from your day to go deal with this issue as well and i'm not quite sure how to get them to do that other than throwing out the scariest cost numbers i can think of you know which is what i've been doing you know
0: <laughs> are there any rich entities that are stepping forward and volunteering to pay what they see as their fair share. So you gave the analogy of West Oakland and Facebook. No, no. The the,
1: the only rich entities, and, I, and again, I have to give praise, um, John D. Rockefeller, as we know it, invented the oil industry, which is the fossil fuel industry. Okay. His descendants, who run two major global foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, Are arguably the global leaders not only divesting out of the fossil fuels industry, very ironic paradox, John D's descendants who run those foundations have essentially divested out of the fossil fuel industry and their investments, yo they're also leaders in funding climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation, seed money to do the kind of work that needs to be done uh, for people to have these dialogues and understand and so uh, that's money, you know, walking your talk. And it's a huge thing, I think, karmically to look back at the family history. And so what, how they're leaders, really dollar and cents leaders. But the big companies, Silicon Valley, Again, again, I know this is going on YouTube. Uh, and, and I will not quote the people I've gotten this from, but I've had some direct contact. They talk a good game, but they, it's, it's, not happening. it's not happening. It is not happening. Okay. And uh, the same, I actually, and again, I, I won't quote people, this is like secondhand information. Uh, we have uh, the real, the first really leading effort in the country on sea level rise to really focus on how to rebuild for that and deal with it was after Hurricane Sandy in the tri state area of New York. And one of the, the projects they came up with, they called the Big U, which is building a very creative environmental seawall, if you will, all the way around the lower half of Manhattan. That's why it looks like a U, Manhattan Island, protecting Wall Street, amongst other things. Okay, so what's Wall Street's response to this? We shouldn't have to pay anything. Yes, we know all our our heating and air conditioning equipment was all in the basement of our office buildings and got flooded by Hurricane Sandy. What's our solution? No, we don't want to pay taxes. We're going to let the 10th floor go vacant of our office building and relocate all the HVAC equipment, as we call it, to the 10th floor, using an an example. And that way it won't get flooded in the future, so we don't care anymore. So even Wall Street is not at the table on the big U. And so that's, you know, i say secondhand information from sources I can't name, but they're
0: extremely well informed. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of goes back to that, like, drama thing, you know? They're yeah. like, go ahead and flood. We don't care. Our stuff's now on the 10th floor. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, that's, that is what we've got going on. And, that's, and it's true around the world. So in the United States, it's not just Americans. It's around the world. Right.
0: In the Bay Area, is there any action happening now beyond top for horizontal levees
1: there is a lot regional government in the bay area and some local governments are really starting to focus on sea level rise uh but the and they are doing it, they're going through the i'll call it the conventional process of planning engineering Preliminary design to deal with this And it's a long process Because we've got this thing called The California Environmental Quality Act Passed in 1972 Incredibly well intended But now it's become a bit of an albatross Around our necks Because it makes everything take way longer To get approved in California The hotter button, pun intended Is fire risk mitigation We are really focused on that right now And people are, are demanding action Particularly the the main one of the main obstacles to, real, to dealing with real estate issues in California has been the Board of Realtors, both regionally and statewide. And again, I can't name names because of the conference I was at at UCLA, but those in a need to know on a national basis have said one of the biggest issues on fire risk mitigation at the homeowner level has been the Board of Realtors. They don't want mandates forcing people to spend money out of a real estate sale closing, you know, an escrow, to go spend more money for whatever, you know, i.e. they call it, you know, basically a building code retrofit. Okay, so as the conventional wisdoms, okay, how do we how do we retrofit? literally millions of homes, hundreds of thousands of homes in California to be more fire-safe. Well, we mandate that if you sell your home, you have to go do all this retrofit work, okay? And basically, the seller effectively pays it not out of their pocket, out of their home sale proceeds. We're counting the fact that home values always go up in California. Therefore, it's not coming out of their pocket. It's coming out of the escrow. It's like the realtor's fee. Well, the realtors hate that, and they oppose it politically, and they win. Um, the, what we're hoping, and this is like being, this is like, you know, as I say in German, is schadenfreude, you know, shadow joy, is that as, if you can't get fire insurance, you can't get a home mortgage, which means you can't sell, you can only sell your home to an all-cash buyer. Well, that, that market goes really small, you know, and that means that's a major dislocation of the real estate market. We are starting to see a little bit of that happening in California. We're seeing some major dislocations in a few areas in the real estate market because of people can't getting out to the fire insurance, or at least get fire insurance at anything less than fifteen or 20000 a year, is about what their mortgage would be. So, meaning that there's a huge cost impact. And we're hoping that that's going to bring the real estate industry around, saying, well, if you guys can't sell homes anymore, how about talking to you about fire risk mitigation again? in hard we call it fire hardening of homes. So that's where that's the first place it's gonna hit in the Bay Area and around the state is in the fire risk, and it's gonna be driven by a real estate dislocation. At the conference again last week, major, major names that are recognized in the state that I can't name were saying Actually, this one... Uh, I'm not going to name, name her, but it was it was actually it was in the part that they said the Chatham House rules were off, and you can quote people. And uh, she was a major elected in the state of California and, and who I really respect. And she got up and said, we're heading back to 2008. Meaning you had the home mortgage meltdown. You had right. people going in default because if you can't get fire insurance or can't afford your fire insurance, you're in default on your home mortgage. And so they're saying, that's where we're going. We're going to go back to 2008. We're going to have a mortgage meltdown in the state.
0: Yeah.
1: The, uh, another person I can quote, Kate Gordon, the head of OPR, at, during the open part of the, of the presentation said, there are 11 million people, what we call the WUI, for your viewers, another acronym, Wildland Urban Interface. We call it the wooey. Okay, there are a shade less than 40 million people in California right now, 11 million of them. We'll say one out of four people live in the wooey. 25%. Okay, we live in Marin County. Marin County is 100% wooey, including the houseboats in Sausalito. Okay.
0: And what is wooey again?
1: Wildland Urban Interface. Wow. What that Wild. means is the those actuarial nerds and meteorologists from the big global insurers say you're at high risk for being burned.
0: Ah. So all that Marin means. County is 100% at high risk to be burned. By the definition of nerds. This is where the, the
1: fire marshals will say, oh, houseboats, no. Um, you know, Downtown San Rafael, no. Um, insurance quant nerds, Yes look at downtown San Rafael, well, you got to look at that Tubbs fire. Um, we almost lost the Kaiser Hospital on 101. We lost the shopping mall on the west side of 101 in downtown and central Santa Rosa. Um, you don't know, downtown San Rafael could be toast from a, a wildland fire with high winds. So what that means is one-fourth of the state is lo- looking at losing their fire insurance.
0: Well, oh, because the insurers won't insure. That, that's what's coming
1: down the road, because wow. they are quant nerds, they are bookmakers who run their equivalent of the Super Bowl sporting sports yeah, bet right, book right, right. are saying, don't
0: bet this game. <laughs> Is it possible that these two highly invested entities, the insurance and the real estate people, can start
1: Brilliant. That's why I've been advocating that we need to get these people in a room together. Yeah. We need to end the building with the fire marshals and the building inspectors because we, we have got to get some dialogue across, because we're heading as the, this highly placed, well-known elected said, um, we're heading for 2008. We're going to have a mortgage meltdown and it's going to look only, only this time it's not going to be just the, the people who, you know, were in the low income homeowner areas of the state like in Palmdale or Moreno Valley in, in Southern California. Uh, it's going to be and people in Marin County, Malibu, Santa Monica Mountains, you know, Brentwood, good down the list, Arinda. They're the ones who are going to be in default on their mortgages and dealing with everything that the lower income people dealt with in 2008.
0: Politics will be very different for that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is possibly a last question. Let's see. Um, When I talk, there's a friend of mine who has... I I think you've met her before, Sandy Medler, and she's with Methune. Oh, Um, I know Sandy at Methune, yeah. yeah.
1: She she was part of the Rockefeller-founded effort for the Bay Area Resilient by Design to come up with designs to deal with sea level rise, and she worked in North Richmond, and they did a great job. Right,
0: right, right, yeah. Part of what she loved about that project was that the community of Richmond was directly involved with the communication and problem solving. Because it's very important to her about gentrification and social um, equalities, you know, and people being dispersed. Like, you build this beautiful green community... But the only people who can afford it are the multimillionaires. So right. What right. happened
1: to the people right. who used well, to? No, and yeah, sea level rise and fire
0: risk mitigation is not
1: like that. It involves you know, Paradise was basically a below median income community. Yeah, people who can't afford to retire in the Bay Area move to a beautiful triple wide in Paradise. Okay, and they think that they've it, they, it was a beautiful community. And I think they have found a great place to retire. They can afford. They can live on a fixed income there. Well, it burns to the ground, including their triple Y. So yeah, and that's and same with North Richmond, uh, West Oakland, uh, East Palo Alto. We have uh, very rich areas that are right on the Bay, like Tiburon, Belvedere, Sausalito here in Marin, and we have very poor areas like the Canal, East Palo Alto, West Oakland. good down the list, North Richmond. You know, right, it, it, yeah. we, we've got we yeah, you know we have all levels of income. And we have the supermajority requirement to raise taxes for, in California for most taxes, a two-thirds vote. Um, the bad, that's bad news, generally, because it's hard to get supermajority in anything. The good news is you've got to bring everybody to the table. You, you can't get a supermajority without having everybody at the table.
0: Do you think that there is a... Um, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word. That there's an energy for the potential, like, let's say you're, you're engineering a horizontal levy. Temptation, that's the word. So is there the potential for the temptation to be, well, you know what, we could disperse these low-income people easier than these rich people. The rich people are going that's to put a up a question. bigger
1: fight. That's a you're You're talking managed retreat. Right now, in California... Again, without naming names, uh, you have climate change as being a forbidden term to use in red states on the coast and the Gulf Coast in places, literally by state statute, Alabama and Florida, two places you can't use that term, in, you know, in, in government work, which is just absolutely crazy. We don't have that in California, but we are starting to see, not by statute, but by, in one case, as a city council that should remain nameless, managed retreat is being a forbidden term to use. And um, and without naming names, I've been told at at presentations to not use the term managed retreat, because it is such a hot button. It is so emotional. So we, we are not climate change deniers in California. But to a certain extent, we're becoming managed retreat deniers.
0: That, to me, is the whole animal farm. That's the slow erosion. It, that's the slow erosion of credibility right. and,
1: and truth-telling. You know, I, I, I like that term Marianne Williamson used. We need a, a, a truth-telling here, and yeah. this is one of them. Because I've been advocating, I totally understand the emotional sensitivity of managed retreat. I've been reading about Israelis and Palestinians my entire adult life. Okay, it's, I know it's a big deal, but it forces the issue of cost. You ha- when you start telling people, "Hey, it's going I'm gonna do a three thousand dollar year exaction out of your paycheck to paycheck budget to pay for rising sea levels and fire risk." Those taxpayers and voters, and they come back to me and say, "It's not worth it. Let those places go. Right. I want managed retreat." Okay, well, great. We now have the dialogue we need to have. We need to sit down and look at what this really means. And by the way, yes, you can say you're above sea level by 200 feet, and you don't, and you don't need to pay for sea level rise. But if you can't use BART 880-101 or 37 and you can't use SFO, Oakland Airport or the Port of Oakland for the rest of your life, is a Bay Area worth living in.
0: Yeah, and I just see the potential that someone in Belvedere, you know, they're like, we're going to be fine. Build the wall. I don't need to travel this month. You're talking about something 60 years from now. I'll be dead.
1: Exactly. You, you you have that going on. And all that dialogue needs to be brought front and center. And that's kind of that's where I feel right now. The way to do it is by dealing with the ugly issues. This is gonna be a staggering cost and the managed retreat option
0: may work in some places, but it's a staggering cost in others. And how do you avoid that temptation of managed retreat? Well, let's let these poor communities wash away. Yeah. Because it's far easier to deal with that than to try to Do we save Sausalito
1: and let let West Oakland go? Exactly. That's that's the ugly side of
0: even the liberal Bay Area. That question's on the table. And the only way I see that changing is when you get Facebook to step up and say, you know what, we see West Oakland's paying thousands of dollars. We're paying a couple hundred. We're going to step up. Here's hundreds of thousands of yeah. dollars cuz yeah. we can do that yeah. and we know they can't.
1: Right, right. I totally totally agree.
0: it's a huge But, you,
1: you, but you, the key to that is is getting the dialogue to be as front and center as traffic, affordable housing and education. I'm I believe in I'm the things I Find cause. Cause I got the corner. Out to places you've been to before. What you're gonna find? dark out, it's strong and it won't be long
0: and before you them all behind. Cause it's the moon, Mother Nature taking over. It's the moon, splendid lady, come to call. It's the moon, Mother Nature taking over. She's getting us all. She's
1: getting us all. <laughs>